Anyway, the point is, this is a very odd thing. It's supernatural, for lack of a better word. I mean, it raises all sorts of philosophical type questions, you know, about the nature of self, about the existence of a soul, you know? Am I me? Is Malkovich Malkovich? I had a piece of wood in my hand, Maxine. I don't have it anymore. Where is it? Did it disappear? How could that be? Is it still in Malkovich's head? I don't know. Do you see what a metaphysical can of worms this portal is? I don't see how I could go on living my life the way I've lived it before. And we are back. Welcome to part two of our Being John Malkovich episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on their exclusive patron feed. And we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. Alex, before we even start listing all the cool stuff on our patron, we have to dole out congratulations to two of our patrons. I'll have you know that our friends Katie and OT are official Tomato Meter critics. They have joined the enemy. Nice. Yeah, so it's only a matter of time before we're actually <laughs> quoting we got people. Here. Yeah, we got people working on the inside now. Dude, it, it's already paying off because I told them, uh, hey, I, I want to know if you get to pick the quote that they put there or if it's if it's just some random person putting a quote. And no, apparently you get to pick. So anytime that we're given grief to a critic because their quote is particularly offensive or dumb, they pick that quote. They they made that decision. <laughs> so um, I feel better about that now. But as I said, I look forward to eventually reading a quote from uh, Katie and Oti. Uh, and it's like, it is, it is just like, they submitted their podcast. So what they do is they, for the quotes, they transcribe their podcast and then, you know, they grab the quote from there. So uh, really cool. Congratulations. Like you said, we have a man on the inside. We have a man and a woman on the inside. And that, uh, that's very exciting. Now into uh, contrarian supplements proper. Uh, once again, we're going to start with uh, the ground floor. If you are on the Travolti's level, Travolti's tier, as usual, you're going to get our cutting room floor stuff. Just last episode, we cut like what, like 10 minutes at least of us talking about Glass Onion and Netflix and The Rock's uh, that, uh, Yeah, statements. that was like 20 minutes long. Like that, <laughs> we just went off and I remember when I cropped it from the editing like i put it in a new file it's like holy shit this was 20 minutes long i mean there was there was a lot to talk about because we we hadn't really we spent five episodes talking about the rock and john John cena how could we not at least have a 20 minute conversation about the rock and black adam and listening to it back though like we have completely different it's just like we're sitting around like outside having a beard venting about the state of movies and shit it's not like we don't have our podcaster voices on or anything so if you want the curtain peeled back that's where you go for it yeah that's that's what you'll get you'll also get uh our bonus episode for this month on the movie the negotiator picked by ben samuel jackson christopher Plummer team up it's haven't seen it you haven't seen it but you said paul giamatti's in it so it sounds like a like it'll be a good time. That should be closer to the end of the month when you get that on the feed. Now, if you are on the next year up, Winonis, 
and upwards, you'll also get our pre-recording notes. You'll get uh, our QVRs this month picked by Brandon Curtis. Look, speaking of peeking behind the curtain, the Bo Collector episode and this being Jamalkovich episode have been recorded pretty close to each other. So much like in the last patron pitch we still haven't settled on which qvrs we're doing um, yeah which movies we're doing for the qvrs brandon sent us a list of seven movies and uh, none of those are familiar to either of us <laughs> so we're doing a little bit sleuthing some researching before we pick who's doing what but out of those seven we're gonna pick two qvrs and also a patron exclusive for next month so uh be patient We'll announce it on the next episode. Uh, but that is coming. And of course, Contrarians After Hours. That's a spin-off show where we talk about other things that we're watching, listening to, playing, reading, thinking about. Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time? Uh, Julio, I watched a documentary on HBO Max that was so remarkably my shit. It was called uh, Class Action class action point uh is that the one uh, excuse me uh, clash action park action point is also part of the discussion i'll be having because action point was the johnny knoxville movie that came out a few years ago i was about to ask if it was related to that that was based on action park which was like this unbelievable exercise in excess and fucking like just the coked out ridiculousness of the 80s it's a documentary that's exclusive to hbo max uh before we record our after hours julio if you get a spare 90 minutes you should check it out but it's uh it's not like the most well-made documentary and i'll discuss that further but i had knowledge of action part going into it and like it didn't come close to covering just the lunacy that went on there. So uh, I'm really excited to talk about that. And then of course the subsequent follow-up Johnny Knoxville movie. Uh, So that is what I am bringing to after hours. What about yourself? First of all, I'm going to tell you about the the culmination of my, of my JM DeMatteis journey. I had my call with, with him. And those of you who have been listening for the last few episodes, you know, uh, the story basically it's I supported his Kickstarter for a bunch of new comics that he's creating and I the tier that I supported gave me a, a Zoom phone call with him and that phone call happened this past uh Saturday. So I'm gonna oh, tell no. you all about it because it was a pretty cool experience. I I had been building up to that and uh it didn't disappoint. The guy was a he's a very uh uh gracious author and he he allowed me to geek out for about 30 minutes. <laughs> Excellent. He, was, he was very patient with me. Uh, so we'll talk about that. And also, I, I watched the movie Bros, written by Billy Eichner, directed by Nicholas Stoller, uh, <laughs> infamously known now because Billy Eichner kind of went on a on a Twitter rant when the movie bombed. And uh, it's a shame <laughs> because the movie is better than, than the I think, the perception that a lot of people have now because of that. Uh, but anyway, when I'll are, tell you about it. It's, when it's, uh, are these people going to learn? You just don't tweet. Like, <laughs> if you reach a certain uh, level of celebrity, just give it to a fucking like an intern to run. That's all you got to do. Or just retweet like your favorite sports teams. All right. So for after hours, we're going to be talking about uh, Class Action Park. Is that it? Class Action Park and Action Point. And Action Point, which is the the movie. And then uh, the movie Bros. And my Zoom phone call with uh, J.M. DeMatteis. 
that will be on our feed as well as all the other stuff we got. And we announced it in the last episode. By the time that this one drops, uh, you should have gotten a message uh, from us officially requesting you to pick a movie for the main feed. But yeah, all patrons that were patrons as of last episode get to pick a movie for this round for us to do. So uh, if you haven't yet, uh, go ahead and message us with your pick. If you are a patron that wasn't a tier that already was picking movies for the main feed, send us uh, your pick for uh, dual QVR. And uh, if you don't know what that means, send us a message. We'll explain. <laughs> but just so you know, I'm, I, we need to compile those so we can start building our schedule for uh, for 2023. Luckily, we have we have about a month to, to figure it out. But that's what's on our Patreon channel right now. If any of it sounds interesting, go and check it out. Patreon.com slash Contrarian Prime. Look at the tiers. Join the Contrarian Supplements and uh, support the cause. $1, $3, $5, and $10 are our respective tiers. Just head on over to our Patreon page. That's a buck. You know, just link your PayPal account to it or some shit. A uh, dollar can't do much these days, but it can get you in on the ground floor and you can take a virtual stroll around our... Uh, what we have to offer, and even going back to long ago, our first patron episode when we discussed at length uh, one of my favorites, Blue is the Warmest Color. And um, yeah, let us know what you think. See if there's something you'd like to see more of, let us know. If there's something you think we're dedicating too many resources to, let us know as well. If you haven't already, you don't even have to be a wrestling fan. Check out the work we did encapsulating, recapping, and kind of just putting it in perspective the Rock John Cena. Um, mega feud match and aftermath from 10 years ago. I was really proud of the work we did on that. And for our current patrons and kind of like a tantalizing little, uh, you know, the, the Twinkie on the string or whatever, what have you. Uh, <laughs> it's supposed to be a carrot, but I like your updated <laughs> version. Who's going to pay for a carrot when you got a Twinkie right there, man? Currently piecing together another project for uh, our patron page, patron exclusive. Now, I'd just say right now, it's not going to have the girth and depth of the Roxena, but uh, you know, we're looking at maybe three or four bonus episodes and uh, an arc, a, an overarching story that we're looking to tell. So stay tuned. Uh, that will be in the not too distant future uh, for our current patrons and I know some of y'all are listening that aren't patrons right now that are, you know, your ears perked up and the hairs on the back of your neck stood up just by the <laughs> the electricity we promised to bring. Oh, and I, I should clarify, too, this in no way, shape or form will have anything to do with wrestling or combat sports. This would be specifically in the realm of film. So that should do that. So that's not to say that at some point you won't bring another wrestling project. No, not at all. That That's almost a guarantee. Um, but for now, our next patron exclusive project will be geared specifically towards the film industry. Uh, so to our current patrons, we love y'all so dearly. I like to say we're always taking applications for new ones and we will welcome all of our new patrons with open arms. We will not build a tunnel that dives into their brain and takes <laughs> over. Mr. Malcolm, sir, with all due respect, I discovered that portal. I mean... It's my livelihood, do you understand? It's my head, Schwartz. It's my head. We will not charge you $200 to spend 15 minutes in either Alex's mind or my mind. What better way to transition to real talk? Than some real talk. I do have a dirty mind. But John Malkovich doesn't. It appears to be pretty clean because it has. it takes 
other people to be in it to really have these intense sexual desires for him. That's uh, weird, but I guess, you know, that's just the story they're telling because the movie, so this is not just me misreading it or, or you know, being very particular about the way I read it. Like, the movie sells Malkovich as a pretty milquetoast guy, right? Yeah, and he said that he approached this just like any other movie, that it was like a fictional role. Uh, the only thing about his real life that was reflected in the film was the wardrobe. So I thought that was interesting. That's funny because that's what uh, Mark Zuckerberg says about the social network. <laughs> Have you heard of that? Yeah. He's like, they got everything wrong, but they got my wardrobe down to like the slippers that I was wearing. Uh, at this point... <laughs> I know Mark Zuckerberg lived through it, but he's such a fucking weirdo that I'm I'm fine believing David Fincher's version of reality. David Fincher and Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> uh, have you heard the thing that it was suggested by Malkovich and at least one other producer that they retool it as being Tom Cruise and Tom Cruise was the lead? Uh, not being Tom Cruise. I didn't know lead, Tom Cruise, but, but I, I know that... Um I so my original plan was to just go through all the the supplements in the Criterion that that I own, but I didn't get to it because you know it's been it's been crazy. Uh, the one that I started and I didn't finish is a uh, a conversation between John Malkovich and John Hodgman, who's a comedian. He was in Daily Show. He's he's kind of like if you saw him, you would be like, oh, it's that guy. Uh, anyway, it's like from 2011, so a decade removed from the movie, and. Uh, they're just talking about Malkovich's participation in it. And yeah, he, he did mention Tom Cruise, but he said that when he first read the script, he wanted to direct it. But of course, he didn't want to be in it. So he just basically told Charlie Kaufman, hey, do you want to rewrite it? Make it a different person, not John Malkovich, and then I'll direct it. And Kaufman was like, nope, this is the script. This is the story. <laughs> and Malkovich said, okay, well, good luck. And walked away. And it wasn't until later that then he became involved in the project again. My research didn't go too deep into this because, like I said, I'd only seen it once before and I didn't want to read too much into it and kind of spoil anything for myself ahead of time. Like I said, I was kind of surprised at how much I retained from it. But uh, yeah, this was written with John Malkovich in mind. I read it was because Kaufman thought John Malkovich was a funny name and that the word Malkovich was funny to say repeatedly. <laughs> and he's such an eccentric and... Uh, chilling. I was going to say effervescent, but he's not. He's just a really dom commanding presence, I think would be the way I would describe him in a very unique way. He's he's not an actor you can say, oh, he's like this. And he was approached about the film several times and loved the script, but he and his production crew felt that another actor would fit the role better. Malkovich offered to help produce the film and aid Spike Jones in any way, but refused to star in it. Eventually, after a couple of years, Malkovich's will wore down and he agreed to star in the film. <laughs> So this was a, a work in progress for several years, and we'll get to a little bit more of that in just a moment. But uh, we are here with a 94 percenter. Uh, it's a, one of those that's high up on the list of films we've covered as far as the Rotten Tomatoes ranking, and also just it's where it's generally held amongst uh, cinephiles. But there's 6% of those reviews on Rotten Tomatoes that beg to differ. Uh, what, what were they saying? What were you able to find, Julio? All right. Rotten quotes now from the Rotten Tomatoes website. I'm going to start with Kamal the Diva Larsoul uh, from Three Black Chicks Review. And she says, it's not a horrible movie. It just gets so confusing that you should rent it so you can rewind and figure out what is going on. I think that I, I, I've never found it particularly confusing, but I can totally see how 
it could be. I, I, I think that if you disconnect from the movie for a few minutes, <laughs> you know, you like you get lost in your own thoughts and then you come back to it and you're like, oh God, what's happening now? <laughs> what did I miss? God, imagine taking a piss during this movie, watching it in the theater. Right? Yeah. You go right before uh, Dr. Lester explains what's going on. <laughs> and th- th- oh, that's like one of those, like, you would think that you're, someone's playing like a trick on you because you'd be in the theater and like looking around like, what? And everyone else is like <laughs> nodding like they understand what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, was that was this your experience though? Were you confused by the movie, or did you just let it take you on a ride and not worried about understanding it? Uh, it was mostly the latter, just in the sense of like when you said that at the end, I had forgotten that's what they said, so that's why he ended up in Emily's brain, and I was like, God, that's such a. It's even more of a terrifying ending now that that <laughs> yeah. I fully understand it, but yeah, for the most part. It's kind of like her. I'm not saying that her is a movie that's on par with this in terms of like intricacy, mm-hmm. but I think it, with films like this, you risk it losing something if you don't just kind of like float. You know, you're on the raft and you just kind of let it take you. Um, I've only seen adaptation once, and I do not remember much of that, so. I can't say that's for all Spike Jones's movies. Uh, I do really like uh, where the wild things are, but that's obviously kind of an outlier when compared to the other three. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, based on this and the other things I've seen of Mr. Kaufman, it's you risk the movie lapping you if you get stuck on something and try to like figure it out. You know what I mean? Yes. A hundred percent. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> if that was someone's experience, I would get it. I, I don't think in this case I will not I don't think fault it's, someone for that. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, it's it's a uh, uh, it's only human to try to make sense of of things. That's what's difficult for me with talking about Synecdoche, uh, New York. Is like when I've talked to people that really like it, that's what they try to pin on me. Of like, I, I get it. it. You know, it just kind of went over. I'm like, no, 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 no. I just really <laughs> found it like boring, and at no point was I really invested in any of the characters. I've seen it once. I, I I've always meant to rewatch it because I, just from the brief things that you've said, I think that I like it more than you do. But I also, I wouldn't claim to understand that movie. <laughs> and I, I think that there's the potential for me to understand it a little better. And it's just, I think the problem is that it's so long. If it was shorter, I think it, it'd be easier for me to just tackle it again. You know, the thing, it's only, it's like right at or right under two hours it's just like there's just so much going on it feels like three hours yes feel you know the the way of water i felt like i could watch that three times before i finished (laughs) synecdoche but it is definitely one of those that people like when they try to explain like they get it i'm like fuck you it's not a movie that's meant to be like understood (laughs) like there you know there's a lot of movies like that but that's one that immediately comes to mind of when people try to lay it out it's like dog you know, this ain't Star Wars. Like, it's not supposed to be like <laughs> this movie you can explain to somebody. You can't mansplain that film. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, next quote Stephen Farber from Movie Line says The filmmakers are stoned on weirdness for its own sake, which is the danger of becoming too enthralled by the free willing ethos of the 60s. I don't know that he needed to specifically reference the 60s. <laughs> I can see how this movie could be too weird for some people. 
I think that we were just talking about Synecdoche in New York, and you could make the argument that Charlie Kaufman, uh, for better and for worse, became untethered <laughs> when, once he stopped working with Spike Jones. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I don't think that Synecdoche is weird for its own sake, but it's definitely weirder than this. And so if being John Malkovich, if you watched it, being John Malkovich and you thought that this was too weird, man, you, I hope that you're avoiding the rest of Charlie Kaufman's output because it only gets weirder. I still need to see um, Anomalisa. 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 That's um, a short one too. I think it's like 90 minutes. Yeah. And I remember it got all that hype because he got nominated for an Oscar, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, not an Oscar. I mean like one of the big ones, like I think I got nominated for best animated feature. And then mm-hmm. he had that movie on Netflix a few years back. I'm thinking of ending things, which I mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. have you yeah. seen that? Oh yeah. I, it's, it's an experience. Is it very uh, obviously a Charlie Kaufman movie? Oh yeah. But it is easier to, to follow uh, than synecdoche up to a point. And then it just, I think that by the time that things start like spiraling out of control, you are too invested in the movie. <laughs> so at least that was my experience. It's like, it's too late for me to just throw up my hands in the air and, and give up. I was like, no, I need to just see it through. I'm on the Wikipedia page and it has respected actor Oliver Platt credited as the voice parenthetically of the animated pig and i'm just annoyed already <laughs> it's it's better than that makes it sound and it has a uh, it has the plemons in, in one of the main roles <laughs> plem dog millionaire yeah. yes <laughs> tony collette i do love me some tony collette anyway yes charlie kaufman writes movies that would be you know when you compare them and and in the context of the mainstream yes they are weird and uh, spike john's it's also kind of an unusual filmmaker. So, Next quote, Chuck Rudolph from Madne Magazine says, loses momentum tacking on countless plot twists that, while unpredictable, are tiresome and obnoxious. That's the closest I've come to agreeing to one of these rotten reviews. You think that there's, there's one twist too many? It really lost steam for me in the third act. Like, I was having so much fun and... Uh, you know, laughing a lot, like real belly laughs and shit. And there's an incredible joke we didn't talk about in CC that we'll get to here in just a minute. But um, after the Malkovich Malkovich scene, it really just unraveled for me. And I was just like, all right. Oh, man, that early? (laughs) Yeah. Well, hold on. No, no, no. I I thought you were going to say after the flash forward, after seven months later. Oh, dude, that takes forever. No, it starts with the monkey flashback that that I was just kind of like, okay. And it's now at no point that I think it was bad. It's just mm-hmm. the it was kind of like, you know, you're rolling down a hill and then you kind of plateau and the, you know, the journey's not over. You just kind of roll along a bit slower. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I didn't think it was bad, but I do think it lost some steam when it I, I put in my letterbox review. It gets a bit too cute towards the third act. <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to remember which movie you said that about. Oh, it was. Uh, I think it was Star Trek Into Darkness. <laughs> uh, yes, it was. It was a little too cute with <laughs> Star Trek references. Well, okay, hold on now. This is a better movie than Star Trek <laughs> Into Darkness, but being Chris Pine, that would be the 
I would pay two hundred dollars for that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Kid, there's no way that that dude doesn't lead an exciting life twenty four seven. You can be John Malkovich. It's perfect. It's my second choice, but it's wonderful. And one final quote. Christine James from Box Office Magazine says, descends disappointingly from hilarious whimsy into bleak, repellent, outer limits tinge dysfunction. That's the other thing that I can see people turning on. And maybe that happened to you. Uh, I know it happened to be the first time I watched it. Do you feel like it's too bleak at the end? Like we're all having fun and then it just ends in this horrifying fashion. I don't I can't tell you how I would have ended it. Um, I think it is the movie deserves the absurdity of Cameron Diaz being the father to the baby or, you know, <laughs> however you want to word that it, I thought that was perfect for the story that that's told, but yeah, that's pretty rough, man. With the, the cues ending up in that little girl's head <laughs> and the look away, look away. So <laughs> I don't think the movie devolves into like this bleak, uh, story it's just that last shot is haunting it's it's the polar opposite of the final shot of district nine the final shot of district nine is like this movie that's really gross and sad and unfortunate you get this beautiful like uplifting final shot and in this movie it's like this really bizarrely hilarious movie with this ludicrous plot and then ends in the most disturbing way possible uh, what I find more disturbing than the than Cusack's fate, because Cusack in the end is just like, well, he had it coming, um, but just the idea that that Charlie Sheen and and the new Malkovich and potentially Gary Sinise, uh, they're all eventually going to invade this girl's mind. I mean, I guess she'll be a forty four year old woman by then, but still, you know, yeah, it's a. Uh, I think that the movie is constructed in a way to where you don't really feel bad for Malkovich when it happens. Uh, you know, it's just funny. But the idea that you're seeing this little girl that's like, I don't know, six, seven years old when when you see her at the end of the movie and that you know that in her future, unless somebody prevents it, she's going to suffer the same fate that Malkovich suffered. That is, I think, really... I mean, bleak is the right word. <laughs> you know, because she's 100% uninnocent at the time that we, you know, leave the movie. I think that it's always... Um, a bother makes it sound like I like I I turn on the movie and I don't, but it's always left me on. Like I feel like we leave the movie on a really down note, and again, if that's where somebody says that that's where the movie lost them, I wouldn't argue with that. We're like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you were having a good time, and then at the end, you were confronted with this terrible fate. That's true. That that's that's accurate. That I I, I get it. Um, so you watched this once before. Do you remember how you felt about it the first time you watched it? I mean, other than feeling that it gave you cachet. Like, you yeah, the... <laughs> I remember enjoying it. Like I said, it was, yeah, it, thank you. It, it, it boosted my stature. It made me more respectable. <laughs> you uh, can look down on the people that hadn't seen being John Malkovich. It's funny because it's kind of overshadowed by how much I did not care for synecdoche which we're talking about and also all right first question for you uh and listeners if you're first timers um you would consider eternal sunshine of a spotless mind to be one of your favorite movies correct oh yeah okay and you like it more than this yes okay may need to watch it again never quite got it with eternal sunshine 
Oh, dude. Uh, okay, hang on. Let me check the Rotten Tomatoes score because that's a movie that I'm not going to just let you watch it and then tell me about it. This is a movie that we have to discuss. 92%, so yeah. <laughs> okay, so hold off on watching it until we do it on the show because that is... God I mean, damn. <laughs> just putting, the- putting my cards out there from the beginning. <laughs> Spoiler alert for real talk of Eternal Sunshine when we finally do it. Like That's one of my favorite movies ever. And I, uh, that's a five star. And of course, you know, it stars Kate Winslet, so that's... Yeah, I was that's about to say that... The picture they use of her on the Wikipedia page for that movie, Mod Own. Shit, man. <laughs> I mean, she uh, is an elite hottie about to cash even more royalty checks when Titanic gets re released. God bless her. <laughs> Can you imagine being in that movie? Like her and Leo and fucking Billy Zane, you know, they just get like random checks, like when it airs on TNT and shit. It's just. God damn, man. The power of, of Jimmy Cam. All right. I, I brought that up because that's obviously a Charlie Kaufman film. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to like set the stage here of like. He obviously has not an adaptation. I have a very loose recollection of. I, I need to revisit that. This is the closest I've come to being like just tickled with how like ridiculous his his writing is. And yeah, I've only seen Eternal Sunshine one time, and if I'm going to rewatch it, it might as well be for this, because I remember, uh, underwhelmed is not the word, but I remember at the time just kind of being like, I don't think I feel the same way about this as everyone else does. But this is funny, man. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's probably what makes it stand out from his writing credits is like, all the other stuff I've seen of his is very... A little bit more bleak and cynical, and oh yeah, uh, um, I think he's gotten worse, or like you know, bleaker. His it feels if you believe that his movies reflect how he feels about the world, then his worldview has gotten bleaker with every movie. Well, I don't blame him necessarily for that, considering <laughs> the past eight years we've lived in. But so that's kind of where I am with Charlie Kaufman, and then Spike Jones already mentioned it. His four movies that he's made. Uh, I re- need to revisit adaptation, but I like this. I uh, really like where the wild things are, and I thought her was fantastic. And obviously, he's one of the big reasons we have Jackass. So I need to be eternally indebted to that man. Um, <laughs> but it's so cool to me that like this was both of their first big projects. And I use every other episode we do to do like it used to be better. So I'll try to refrain from that. But that's, you know, <laughs> fucking Universal Pictures gave these two guys who was their first fucking movie uh, $13 million. And John Cusack, Cameron Diaz, and John Malkovich. And they're like, have fun. Um, <laughs> that shit's awesome. And then also, just because I thought this was really fucking cool and also like one of those things of you know, the, the stars aligning type thing. Charlie Kaufman sent the screenplay to Francis Ford Coppola after he wrote it. Coppola liked it so much that he showed it to his daughter's husband, Spike Jones. Jones liked the screenplay so much that he approached Kaufman about directing the film. So, you know, just the, it's so funny that the, the intermediary was fucking Francis Ford Coppola. The guy who made the Godfather was like, Hey, you should check this out. Uh, On that interview that I was watching with, Malkovich, he see, I didn't have that connecting tissue. He just said that Coppola had called him after he had already read the script and you know had that meeting with Kaufman where he tried to convince him to change the protagonist. You know, they parted ways, and then months later, he gets a call from Coppola who tells him, Hey, you should come over and meet this Spike Jones guy because he's (laughs) literally he says, 
someday we're all going to be working for him. <laughs> He's got this videotape of this Johnny Knoxville guy getting sprayed in the face with pepper it's spray. Hilarious. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> We've been laughing at it for hours. I think maybe you're onto something. And 50 other lines to get into a girl's pants. <laughs> no. no, no, no. I was just talking about the, you know, about the, the film. All right, so once you get over the novelty of that, and I, uh, you know, for for white people, these are like two premier film contributors of the 21st century. So it's kind of, you know, it's a big deal. This was their first movie, and they did, did it together. Um, it's a solid film. I said the budget was $13 million. It grossed a little bit over $32 million. Again, released on October 29th in 1999. At the 2000 Academy Awards, Spike Jones was nominated for Best Director, uh, Supporting Actress Catherine Keener, and Original Screenplay Charlie Kaufman. Julio, let's see. You know, I do this every time. Uh, can you tell me who won Best Director? So this would uh, this would have been for the year of 1999. Is it Sam Mendes? You are one for one, my friend. <laughs> the, the famed American Beauty Year. That's uh, Christopher Plummer's second Oscar. I believe so. Uh, so best supporting actress. Oh, this is a gimme. We just talked about this a few days ago. Who did Catherine Keener lose to? 1999. Angelina Jolie for The Bone Collector. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't for The Bone Collector, but it was for Girl Interrupted. <laughs> and then best original screenplay being John Malkovich and in a loaded field that year who did he lose to oh 99 jesus so we didn't original uh they might have lost to alan ball for american beauty good work three for three on that one i mean you got angelina's movie wrong but <laughs> the the intent was there uh but yeah screenplay category you had american beauty being john malkovich magnolia the sixth sense and then uh topsy-turvy which i've never seen before the british musical mm, uh magnolia should have won mm, i was trying to th i was trying to think when i was watching this because you know it immediately came to mind because they're both the same year which of these i like more i probably, probably like this a little bit more but i know I know how you feel about Magnolia. And for our listeners, yes, that was the year that S South Park got nominated for Best Original Song for Blame Canada. What a time to be alive. <laughs> Back when American <laughs> cinema took chances. Oh, man, you want to talk about that. Best Visual Effects. There were three nominees. The Matrix, The Phantom Menace, and Stuart Little. <laughs> <laughs> The Matrix, of course, taking it home. They they dominated a lot of the technical awards, deservedly so. All right. Being John Malkovich, very funny. My problems with it, and problems I use that word very loosely, almost like in quotations, are just like by the end when they're explaining like the whole idea of the portal and everything, I almost just prefer that it's not explained. Mm -hmm. You know, in a movie, this kind of like – wacky or whatever words you want to use to describe like just the ridiculousness of it. I almost just prefer it. Like that's the way it is. You know, you know, the scene where Cameron Diaz goes to Lester, like, you know, they've talked, but you don't really ever know what they say, that type of thing. Uh, but I'm not going to fault him for making it even more ridiculous. Cause that's obviously just 
the point of this movie is just the absurdity of it all. Um, but for me personally, like I said, it kind of lost a bit of its momentum. Now, when this movie's funny, it is fucking hilarious. And the thing I was talking about earlier, like this is like a golden era Simpsons joke. Um, <laughs> I'm curious to see which one you're referring to. Cause yeah, I laughed really hard throughout the entire movie, but so th- there's a lot of just like reactions to like facial expressions and stuff that I think are funny, but the joke of it's established like 20 minutes before it pays off that when Cameron Diaz is putting her bird into the cage, the, like, well, first of all, she has these pets and their their neighbors like shut the fuck up and like banging mm-hmm. on the wall and stuff. And when she puts the bird in the cage, the bird goes, help. He's locking me in a cage. And she's like, isn't that funny? <laughs> and then later in the movie where he goes to uh, where John Cusack snaps and he holds Cameron Diaz at gunpoint. He, you know, makes her get in this cage and she goes, help, he's forcing me into a cage (laughs) and no one reacts to it because it's just that's so that's the type of like dumb fucking humor that I live for. That is, you know, that's a Simpsons joke or something like that. (laughs) That's um, really weird SNL skits and stuff that I live for. That's Wayne's World 2. That would that that would be a joke in Wayne's World 2. That's the in Wayne's World 2 where. Wayne sees the people on the street stacking uh, boxes of chickens and watermelons. And then there's these two guys that are walking across the street, moving this giant pane of glass back and forth. And he just kind of looks at it all. And he looks at the camera. He's like, you got to wonder if this is going to pay off at some point in the movie. And that's exactly (laughs) what this is. And it's just wonderful. I mean, it's funny, but I was definitely not expecting you to bring that up. (laughs) The the high point in comedy. (laughs) I, yeah, I thought that was brilliant, but I, there was other stuff throughout the entire movie. The Gary Sinise line made me laugh, and like just the physical comedy of John Malkovich, like when his brain's like short circuiting, yep. when uh, when he's talking and it's not him. Like the first time that uh, Cusack makes him talk, or the first time that uh, Cameron Diaz makes him talk, I think that's the first one. When he's like, "I love you too." <laughs> <laughs> the documentary on him as a puppeteer, like amazing. That thing with Sean Penn is literally it's literally that scene in Zoolander where they're doing the documentary on Hansel and the way he's talking about like his career and like other people and his like role models and shit. But it's Sean Penn, like one of the best like actors of all time. And that thing of like he said, you know, I'm I'm ready to move into it, but I don't, you know, want to be seen as an imitator. But I think that <laughs> eventually all of us will follow Malkovich and, you know, into puppetry. <laughs> yep. It's and it like the sincerity he delivers it with. It's you know, that's the type of thing that you leave that in the wrong hands and it it is stupid. That's the point. But you leave it in the wrong hands and it seems stupid. You put it in the hands of Sean Penn and he delivers that line and it's like this is fucking elite comedy right here, man. Uh you asked me in Contreras Corner if I found the the whole shtick with the secretary that can't hear, if I found it funny. And uh now that we're in real talk, I can tell you that I find it hilarious. Uh it I just love it. It it's it's so dumb, but it's it just works so well that it, you know, because it keeps getting worse and worse. Like the her what she misunderstands gets more and more ridiculous. And it's funny because John Cusack at some point gives up on trying to clear things up but then he finds himself dragged into it again i i just love it and the, that the fact that dr lester has this idea that he is the one that has a speech impediment <laughs> that conversation all that is 
I just find it very clever. It, you know, it's just like the back and forth and the acting and they started strong reaction. too. How she like mistakes Schwartz for Juarez, like that's <laughs> it's not even close. Like the he's like, no, I'm Schwartz. I don't <laughs> know what you're saying to me right now. That he goes into the to the interview and Lester goes, uh, "You're Mr. Juarez." He's like, "No, I'm I'm Schwartz." Security <laughs> <he> calls security. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Juarez. Oh yes. Chest. I said yes. You suggest what? I'm sorry, I have no time for piddling suggestions from mumbling job applicants. Besides, Dr. Lester will see you now. It's weird because, like I said, I've seen this movie a number of times, but I actually saw it in theaters when it came, like in Peru. I was still living in Peru at the time, and I was working uh, this production company. I was. Where is John the, Malkovich? Donde esta, <laughs> Senor Malkovich? Uh, I was Juan, I was working at a Juan Malkovich. <laughs> Juan Malkovicho. I was I was working at this production company. I was uh, on the writing staff for for the soap opera, and it was like a big release, uh, especially if you were into movies, you know. And uh, there there was buzz, like the buzz had made it to Peru, and so everybody watched it, and everybody was talking about it. There was this uh, girl that was part of the writing staff that everybody thought like she was really cute. And I was, uh, I remember like my friend would be like, Oh, you know, you're working with, I don't remember her name, but you know, she was like, she's really cute. And I was like, Oh, she's okay. And, uh, you know, I remember having interactions with her while we're working together and, you know, just me thinking, yeah, I mean, she's a cute girl, but she's not like, I, I don't, I, I didn't understand the attention. And then I went to see being John Malkovich with some friends and coming out of the theater, after the movie, we run into her. Like she was coming out. She'd been in the same theater as I was, the same auditorium, and she was there with her boyfriend. It was this like dude that was like twice my size and had like a massive beard? And, and so we saw each other and was like, hey, hey. And she's like, what'd you think? And I just went like, eh, it was all right. I mean, I just I I don't think it's as good as everybody says. And uh and she looked at me like kind of disappointed, kind of like in disbelief. And she's like, Really? Because I thought it was great. And I was like, yeah, well, what you gotta do? And then, you know, we parted ways. And then next time I, I just, you know, it's, I, I guess that's just how like your brain works sometimes. The combination of like having her be disappointed in my opinions, plus seeing her the dating a dude that was like much better looking than me, like more put together. <laughs> I don't know, that whole thing like messed with my head. And then next time I saw her, I was like, you know, she is really pretty. <laughs> <laughs> and and then I was like, you know, maybe I should give this being John Malkovich movie a, a shot. <laughs> and next time I watched it, I actually liked it, uh, you know, a little more. And but the first time I saw it, it was one of those things where I don't know if it was just that the hype had kind of like set me up to not like it, or if it was just that I was too uh, too young to really appreciate how funny it is while being really dark. I just remember mostly having trouble engaging because uh, a little bit like what we're playing with in Contreras Corner, the Catherine Keener and John Cusack are such despicable people that yeah. I was just like, we got to the end and I was just not happy about how it all turned out. And then subsequent watches have made me not just appreciate the humor better, but also just, I don't care that they're bad people. <laughs> You know, I just want a good story, and it's a good story. The, the the twists and turns, like I don't care about the fairness because I don't think that the movie is ever telling me that they're good people or that their, their behavior is excused. It's just 
showing you these fucked up individuals that make really bad choices and well you can choose to believe that Catherine Keener is a better person by the end of the movie uh, or you can choose to believe that she's not but whatever the case it looks like Cameron Diaz is happy and they've reached some sort of balance there and that's like well that's just how it is you know mm-hmm. <laughs> and so this probably I don't know fifth time I've seen the movie uh, I really my my experience watching it now versus that first time has changed I'm so much more positive I'll, and the things that I f- think could be pointed out as flaws or things that don't quite work are overpowered by everything that works so all the little things that don't make sense I maybe it's just because the movie's so silly that it's just very easy to just shrug them off and I was like it, what you were saying is like the idea that Catherine Keener knows that it's Cameron Diaz's kid or that Catherine Keener is just making that up and Cameron Diaz believes it I mean it's just one of those but of course moments you know, in this mm-hmm. movie that's what would happen and it, and you just don't question it you just keep going along I I like it a lot I I, I think I like it more than you do uh, her would still be my my top Spike Jones movie yeah but an adaptation is definitely my least it's the only Spike Jones movie I don't like uh, I think it kind of like loses the thread in that one where the wild things are is good but I, I would put this one above that. Uh, I just, I like it a lot. And I, I generally like Charlie Kaufman's work. Like the rest of Kaufman's work, I've seen Anomalisa and I saw uh, the Netflix movie. And, uh, and of course, Neck the Key. His writing anyway. credits are this human nature. Oh, uh, it is him. Michael, yeah. directed by Michelle Gondry. But yeah, human nature, I've seen it. It's uh, It has the, the lizard in it. He's one of the main characters. Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Directed by George Clooney, right? The Clunes, yeah. Yeah. It's you can tell the the really weird, like almost unapproachable ones <laughs> are the ones that are written and directed by Charlie Kaufman. You know, like Synecdoche, Anomalisa, uh, and this Netflix movie. And then and then he's written some really weird shit that gets filtered through other people's sensibilities because yeah confessions of the dangerous mind is kind of like a weird movie but it's also i want to say it's probably his most traditional out of them and that's because yeah i I could see how george clooney took that script and you know he shot it the george clooney way versus like michelle gondry is kind of like a weirder guy so he could bring his own weirdness to uh human nature and eternal sunshine the same way that spike jones bring his own weirdness to uh being john malkovich and adaptation it's really cool like to see how those talents you know can be combined to create something that's unique just because of the two people that are working on it. I guess I'm more of a Spike Jones fan than a Charlie Kaufman fan, but I can appreciate them as unique talents and uh, I cannot wait for them to make an MCU movie, Alex. I know that that's what you're waiting for. <laughs> you sicken me. <laughs> no, I I seriously I I like that they bring such unique perspective to movies, you know? And I know Kaufman has had a harder time getting movies made than John's, at least from, you know, what I gather. I know I've read a couple of Kaufman interviews that I think it was like maybe after Anomalisa or maybe before this new one where he was just talking about how hard it is to get to finance his movies. But it's like, yeah, you watch his movies and it's like, of course. 
<laughs> I appreciate them, but I also see how they they're not like real money makers, you know, because you're not making them for for the masses. Um, I think being John Malkovich, you know, kind of like strikes that middle line. I would agree with that, and yeah, you can't can't do this shit every time. Not everything can be this. That's you need a variety. But I do enjoy movies like this every once in a while. I was just aghast to find out that where the wild things are, it cost a hundred million dollars. Paul Dano ain't cheap, man. <laughs> Scandalfini, Gandolfini, getting those that Sopranos rate. That's right. And I would like to redirect my career so that from now on, the name John Malkovich will be synonymous with puppets. Sure, sure, no problem. Poof, you're a puppeteer. Uh, just let me make a couple calls. I this is not those other movies we've kind of listed so far. I'd even I could see John and Jane Q public being, and by that I'm I'm like immediately thinking of my parents. Like mm-hmm. they might have an easier time with this than her, it, just because her has stuff that you know is kind of funny to us, but nothing is outright goofy is some of the shit that happens in this unless i'm forgetting something from her but there are just like like legit like prat falls and shit in this that are funny <laughs> um i mean it's true uh her is just it's more heartfelt though and that's the thing that i it is but it's like i don't find anything really in this movie to be off-putting like there's really aside from like katherine keener's character being like a sack of shit in the ending like <laughs> There's not there's not like a doom and gloom about this that there is with her if you actually start like thinking about the story of her, you know what I mean? But don't you think that the ending of her is kind of uplifting? You know, it's just Joaquin and Amy Adams sitting there. Oh yeah, I do, for sure. Yeah, so I mean, I think at that that would be like yeah, I guess you you go through like some bleak shit, but then at the end it's two humans reconnecting. So whereas like here I know that the first couple times I watched it, my main critique was, you know, the way I rationalized why I didn't love it the way other people loved it, I would just say, like, it has no heart. You know, that's the consequence of you have your characters being pieces of shit. Yeah, it's funny and it's entertaining. It's very imaginative, but I can't connect. And then I think maybe the third time I watched it, I I suddenly connected. It's that moment when uh, Cameron Diaz falls from it is right after you know she's inside Malkovich and and Catherine Keener is having sex with Malkovich but she is in there so it's the first time that Cameron Diaz's characters in a way having sex with a woman and then she cut she falls and the camera is like on her face from above and then pulls back and you can see she's transformed by the experience and it's kind of it's built up to that i think that from the the first time that she goes into malkovich's head you can see that her performance is giving you that that she's it's a metamorphosis she's just transformed to someone new and she's like really excited about what's happening and i I actually think it's a really good performance from her and uh and it just kind of builds up to that moment where like the camera pulls back from her and she's lying down on the ground and she has this big smile that is a moment of joy that I now I can recognize and point to it and go like, that's the heart of the story. I mean, this woman that finds kind of her identity in a way. And we can talk about like <laughs> where that goes because I, I, you know, I joked about it in Contreras Corner and I now in real talk, I can say that it doesn't make me like the movie any less, but I do think that it's kind of, uh, I don't know if it's like a 
kind of like a, a, a timestamp, you know, kind of like a sign of when this was made or what, th- that they bring up a discussion about her sexual orientation and then that doesn't become something that drives the movie necessarily going forward. You know what yeah. I mean? Today, that would be like, you would need a resolution to that story instead of just here. It, it, it's just kind of lays by the wayside, you know, it's just... At some point, it's not about Malkovich and having a penis. <laughs> it's just about that. Mm-hmm. Why specifically? I'm in love with Catherine Keener, and it just it, it just feels like it deserved more time the way after it's brought up because it's such a complex subject matter. But anyway, that's I I find that that's the heart of the of the story for me because I I don't care for Catherine Keener. I don't care for John uh, John Cusack. I I don't even care about Malkovich. I, I think that they're all really funny, but. They're just entertaining to watch. It's not like I I connect to any of the, the problems that they're having. But I was thinking about this while I was watching it. Do you think, I guess I'll preface it by saying that, I think Catherine Keener is great. Nails the performance, but she and uh, Spike Jones, I guess, they made a conscious decision of how to portray this character and make her really off-putting. Did you, at some point watching this, were wondering, okay, but what would it be like if we got... Either an actress that projects a different kind of energy that makes her a little more likable, or if Catherine Keener just kind of like turned on the charm and <laughs> was a little more likable while still saying the same lines and doing the same things. You know, do, do you see how that would like maybe shift things in the movie? Yeah, but then it just brings into question of like, I don't know. I don't know how that would make it work because I don't know if that's the story they want to tell. Well, but- I think that the way it would work is that I would actually be invested. I'll be more invested in that love story. Uh, yes, it, it would be nice to be happy for them ending up together in the end instead of just kind of like, okay. <laughs> that was one thing I was like completely unrelated to what we're talking about. I was saying I always think about that when I see that. I can't imagine how hard that would be. Mary Network, it's fucking crazy, dude. Okay, so now that we're in real talk, it's beautiful to look at. I yeah, <laughs> now that yeah. I have to make fun of it. Uh what he makes the the marionettes do. I mean that is it's a performance of its own. I I really love the the bit when they're in the the Malkovich documentary, and he's teaching a class and he's telling him, uh, "Yeah, you're just making the the puppet weep, but you have to. It has to be an extension of you." And yes. then he he grabs but you the, yourself are not weeping. Yes, exactly. And then he makes the 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 puppet weep, you know, and the, the puppet crumbles and starts like sobbing on the ground. It looks great. Yeah. It's really cool, and I mean, of course, you don't get to see much of that ever. <laughs> nope. Team America, and uh, I guess Anomalisa? I don't remember if Anomalisa stop motion or if it's uh, puppets. Uh, I think it's stop mo- I haven't seen it, but if I remember correctly, um, John Cusack actually took some marionette puppeteering lessons in order to prepare for the film. So there you go. <laughs> now he's a, he has a party trick. And then also the original script, it was Kevin Bacon, not Charlie Sheen as a Malkovich's actor friend, but it was John Malkovich himself who recommended Sheen for the part. You brought up something there that it's like, that's gone. Like seeing Charlie Sheen, like it's Charlie Sheen. It's just like, oh, it's Charlie Sheen, LOL. Like that's just like what it is now. And, you know, it's, I mean, he was never fucking Robert Duvall or anything, but he (laughs) he was like... A star of the moment, like a genuine bona fide superstar with no level of like E or strings attached, you know? So it is kind of honest to God, out of all the things in the movie, that might be the one that aged the poorest. 
Yeah, but I think he's really good. I mean, he has two scenes, but I, I, I thought he was actually really oh, yeah, funny. Oh, yeah, he's fine. Yeah, he's fine, and he's really funny. Just the whole, oh, you're just stoned, that thing. Like, nothing against his performance. It's just like, you know, the the um, <laughs> baggage sounds like a really dramatic word, but, you know, just kind of the weight that comes along with Charlie Sheen now. Well, yeah, that's, uh, I was going to say, oh, it's his own fault, but that's that seems unfair in a way because obviously I don't know him. I don't know what his mental health is like. I mean, but he, what we can say is that he had a very public meltdown mm-hmm. and that now that just kind of like colors his, you know, his career going forward. And so I guess that was my primary thought when I saw him. I was like, oh, he looks so healthy, you know, like, and not just like in a, like he seemed like an actor that has shit together in his two scenes. You know what I mean? Like I'm like, oh, he 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 got it. And I mean, I'm not like a Charlie Sheen connoisseur as far as like uh, I've seen a lot of his movies, but I mean, I've seen the first Wall Street. The this the weird thing is this Maxine likes to call me Lottie. Ouch, that is hot. Maybe she's using you to, to channel some dead lesbian lover. I guess putting just like a cap on that Charlie Sheen talk, he was in rehab when he heard about uh, Spike Jones's eagerness to cast him in this. And it was his directorial debut. Sheen accepted the role without initially reading the script. So it looked That's like, cool. I mean, he's always had, a, you know, he's had a history of issues, but yeah, that is interesting. Um, all right. I ended up giving this three and a half stars on letterbox. Um, Jesus. That's it's not, it's still going <laughs> to end up be- ready for that. <laughs> Dude, that's still going to end up being a B. Like, <laughs> I also watched Reservoir Dogs today and gave that four. So it's in the same category as that. I think some people just inter- interpret things a little bit differently. Same ballpark. Uh, it ain't even dude, the same sport. <laughs> Tremendous. Um, but that's why I prefer using letter grades because there's so much like nuance <laughs> between half stars and shit. So, yeah, I would definitely give this a B teetering towards b plus like i said it loses momentum for me and just through the discussion we've had i've come to realize how disturbing i find the ending of the movie so that (laughs) that's not necessarily a knock on it just to be clear but i i would go with a b on this i saw your letterbox was five stars you sticking with that whole five the full five i am i am i even though just rewatching and taking notes for contrary corner i was able to poke holes that i wasn't even aware were there <laughs> uh like there's two things that I, I wouldn't even say they bothered me but that i noticed then i easily came to realization that i didn't care that they were there because like i said the, i just find that the movie so entertaining that I just keep going forward but one is that uh cameron diaz is not surprised when maxine shows up to the date with john malkovich the first time you know what i mean like so she's inside malkovich's head when Catherine Keener or Maxine calls and they make the date and she makes Malkovich, uh, you know, she forces him, influences him to to say yes to the date, to go. But I don't think the movie makes it clear if, like, I thought that she was not aware that the person on the other end of the line was Maxine. You know what I mean? Like, I, I thought that she was just assuming that it was a fan. But then she teleports into Malkovich at the beginning of the date when Maxine shows up and she's just like, Oh, that's Maxine. And then she, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, there's like a beat missing there where she would find out. So she's not surprised later. Uh, that's fine. And then what I brought up in the dress corner, which is that there is no explanation as to how Dr. Lester 
found out that the rules of the of the tunnel. And mm-hmm. again, I don't care, but it's definitely a, a missing piece. You know, something that doesn't make sense because it's it's such a complicated system. It's not like it came with a manual or that he could just like Google it and be like, how does this work? It's just we just accept that he knows because he knows. So it's uh, I don't care. <laughs> it's fine. I can make fun of it. I can poke holes, but at the end of the day, it it's just so entertaining. And I really I don't think I made it made it clear enough. Like I love Cameron Diaz's performance in the movie. I, mean, I think everybody does great, but the way that she reacts to being John Malkovich and how that changes her life and how that drives her actions going forward. I mean, it's uh, I really like it, and I think that that's why I was thinking. Man, it's a shame that I don't care more about her relationship with Maxine. Because if I did, then it would be even more powerful. But even with that, it's still five stars because it's just it's just so inventive. It's so so wild. I think it was like Roger Ebert's review. I remember reading it, you know, ages ago, where he was talking about how there is ideas for seven or eight movies in this movie. <laughs> but Kaufman and, and Jones just move from one to the other almost seamlessly, you know, that it's great. And I, like I said, her is my favorite of his. So her is also five stars, but this one is just like right below it. All right. Well, that was a fun and educational episode on being John Malkovich, an interesting blind spot for us to tackle here. Uh, not necessarily for either one of us, but just for contrarians canon, as we say. Uh, so what is on deck next, Julio? Coming up next, uh, we're going to, step away from the Mount Rushmore and its asterisk. And uh, we're going to go back to the patrons because it's uh, patron demand time. And our patron, Ben Murray, is giving us the movie Pretty Persuasion, which is uh, an Evan Rachel Wood vehicle. And uh, that's pretty much all I know about it. That and uh, James Woods is in it, which, well... I don't know what James Woods were getting here, but uh, I guess we'll find out. Uh, I'm an Evan Rachel Wood fan, so uh, I'm looking forward to watching it. It's, she's one of those actresses that I really like, but I also haven't seen most of her movies. It's just one of those things. I think that it's my fault because she's not. She hasn't done a lot of mainstream stuff. I kind of get in, the, in my head that she's done a lot of like indie stuff because I always remember hearing about her movies but never seeing them play anywhere. So. Looking forward to this one. Do you know anything about Pretty Persuasion? Do you even know who Evan Rachel Wood is? Yes, yeah, she's in The Wrestler, dog. Of course. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> she's also in something else I really enjoy. I'm trying to remember what it is right now off the top of my head. Across the Universe? Ooh, Ron Livingston. No, not Across the Universe. <laughs> she was in The Ides of March, but that's not what I'm thinking of. Mm, yeah, she was. She got pregnant. I don't know. It'll... I'll have it in mind by the next time we meet. All right. Pre-persuasion. Uh, I I don't know anything. Bakura blind, pretty much. So uh, that's coming up next. And then after that, we'll return to do the, the second half of Mount Rushmore. The other two heads. All right. Well, that is what is on deck. Time to get on out of here. So we'll start off by giving thanks to the Festive Years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all Festive Years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rothieser is the man behind our logo and all the graphics on our webpage, our Patreon page. 
our merch page, anywhere you see that little tomato looking itself in the mirror or dressed up funny, that's just Hans doing his thing. And we're very thankful for it. Uh, if you want to reach out to him directly and tell him how much you enjoy his work, you can write to him on Twitter at Mildemonios, M-I-L-D-M-O-N-I-O-S, or you can email him, Mildemonios at hotmail.com, or you can just check the rest of his work uh, on his website, mildemonios.pe. He's a writer, he has a bunch of novels that he's written about zombies, fantasy novels, and he also has two podcasts, Nación Combi, which is about Peruvian current affairs, and Marginal, which is about economy. And also, Alex, he just saw the picture of the degrees collection that uh, we got you for Christmas, and yes. he thought, like many others, that Grease Live was Grease 3. Oh and my when God. I said it was just a live performance, uh, and I said that I thought that live performance was better than the Grease movie, he said, agree to disagree. So he's on your team. Good. We need all the help we can get, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. Be sure to head over to latenightgrin.com for any and all pro wrestling needs. Pro wrestling news, pro wrestling podcasts. Uh, live streams. They also, every once in a while, will cover movies as well. Uh, there is a lot going on in the world of professional wrestling right now. And uh, Joe, Rob, my buddy Matt, Oracle, all the boys over there, they got what you need. And who has what we need is the skills for social media. I didn't even plan that segue, but that is Zoe Perez, who helps out with our social media game. She's our social media guru, our social media czar. Uh, if you haven't already, facebook.com slash contrarian prime, youtube.com slash at contrarian prime, at contrarian prime on Instagram. Zoe really helps uh, curate and put together uh, a good looking feed for our social media followers. So, Zoe, we appreciate the work that you do and continue to do for us. And as always, we appreciate you, our listening public, for tuning in to yet another episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time.